Good morning, H2O Church, here to introduce our speaker for this morning, and also here with our new pastor, Matthew McClure. It's good to have you in town yeah. and have you on board with us. Um, very excited to uh, introduce Alfonso Mack to you. Uh, this is a guy that is just so great to be around. We're so blessed to have him on staff, have him as one of our pastors in training. He loves the Word of God, and he's so great at communicating that, which I think you're going to hear today. I don't know if you've gotten to know Alfonso. Not really, yeah. I don't know. Can you tell me something about him? Yeah, he is actually a Division One athlete. Oh, he really? played football here for uh, BGS. Yeah, me too. You did? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, middle linebacker. You were a middle linebacker. Yeah. Wow, okay. I find that hard to believe. Anyway, Alfonso is a great man. We love raising up leaders here. You've probably heard us talk a lot about that with our leadership development in the H2O network. Yeah, I would echo that. We believe in seeing young men and women kind of rise up and be given opportunities. And so we're excited that Alfonso is going to be preaching today as part of that process. Yes. So a uh, funny story about Alfonso being a great athlete. When we were moving in the cozies, we had this moving truck. It was about four foot high into the back loading dock of that. And Alfonso said he can jump into that. I said, I, wow, that's crazy. Don't do that. Uh, I know you got a great vertical leap, but you're going to hit your shins. That's going to hurt. Wow. Yeah. It was so no cool. ramp. No ramp. Just straight into the... Just straight into No it. running start. No running start. Flat footed. And when he jumped, he actually landed on top of the truck. <laughs> Ridiculous. So he's an amazing, amazing athlete. So we're looking forward to hearing him preach the Word of God today. Love this guy. So give a warm H2O Church welcome to Alfonso Mack. <laughs> good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Hope you guys are doing well this morning. I'm so thankful uh, to be with you all this morning. Um, yeah, so if you haven't met me, I'm Alfonso. I have been on staff here for a little bit over a year now, and so I'm a pastor in training. I also help lead the First Impressions team, so all the coffee and donuts and stuff, I help serve that if you guys love those things. Um, also, I, I help uh, um, with a lot of things on campus, too, with just like SOAR and stuff like that, and I also do a lot with athletic ministry and uh, FCA. Uh, another fun fact about me um, is that I got married um, about a, uh, a year ago in uh, February, and so I've been married for a little bit over a year to my beautiful, my beautiful wife, Catherine. Uh, she's not here currently right now, but she is awesome. Um, but yeah, so like I said, I'm so grateful to be here and sharing the Word of God with you this morning. And so what we're doing is continuing in our sermon series called The Hall of Faith, and what we've been doing is looking at Hebrews 11, over the course of the summer so far, and we've been looking at these uh, great men and, and women in the faith um, in this chapter um, who have, they have demonstrated great faith, but they also did all of this despite going through great circumstances and having in crazy stories. Um, and so when we really think about this hall of faith, though, uh, we have to think about, well, why does it even exist? Well, the reason can pretty much almost be summed up in Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 2, and the reason is this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and founder and perfecter of the faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand and throne of God. And so... And the, the, the first part of that says this great cloud of witnesses and pretty much is referring to this, these group of men and women in chapter 11 who have demonstrated uh, great faith. And so really the author is pretty much pointing them to like, man, like we have these people who have demonstrated great faith, but guess what? It's really kind of not about them. 
Like, you guys have them alongside you, but really what you need to do in order to endure, because in chapter 10, at the end of chapter 10, we see that they are probably going through some struggles and this and that, and they were almost thinking of leaving the faith. And so he has to remind them that, hey, like, here are men and women who have demonstrated faith, but it's not about them. It's actually about Jesus. And so really, I just want to point out to you and kind of get this out here beforehand that really what we're looking at today is not the people and they're just their great faith. We're really looking at people who are actually pointing us to someone greater and it is Christ. And so we will even see that play out more as the morning uh, continues. And so where we are in uh, Hebrews today, in Hebrews 11, uh, we'll be continuing. We'll be uh, in Hebrews 11, verse 21. Last week, Matto, he had talked about uh, verse 20, talking about the faith of Isaac, evoking future blessing um, on Jacob and Esau. And so where we are right now is in verse uh, 21, and it reads as this. By faith, when dying, Jacob blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And so that's all we got. We just got one verse about this guy named Jacob who's blessing these sons, which is, sounds kind of boring a little bit. So what, is this, what does this have to mean when you think about this verse? And so what we're going to kind of do today is, is really just kind of look into the life of, of Jacob first before we really try to unpack and understand what this verse in Hebrews actually means. And so what I'll kind of be doing is giving you a little bit of an Old Testament survey, a little bit of Jacob's life, kind of just walking through the narrative and the story just so we can see some things in his life that will help make sense of why it says that he was used by faith. And so some of the things that I'm going to share and point out um, isn't going to tell all of the story. And so if you want to go read it, um, it's Genesis 25 through 50. You can go and read it, and it is the rest of his story. Um, and so and we'll just get started right away just because we have a lot to cover, a lot of ground to cover on Jacob's life. And so if you have a Bible, please open up to Genesis 25, and we will jump right into the narrative of Jacob's life. We'll be at verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel and the uh, Aramean of uh, Padan Arama, the sister of, of Laban the, the Aramean, uh, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And so I'm just going to stop right there because I just want to point out one thing to you. And I want to focus on this thing that God actually said to, to, to the mother of these, of these two kids, which will actually end up being Jacob and Esau, which we talked a lot about last week. He says that the older is actually going to serve the younger. Now, this is something that doesn't make any sense because culture would actually say that the youngest was actually supposed to be subservient to the oldest child. And that's one thing that I want you guys to think about as we continue on through this narrative is that literally the older is going to serve the younger. And we'll just continue, continue reading on. It says, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her room. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. And so here I just want to point out one thing. So right out of the womb, okay, we see this kid. His brother comes out first, and he wants to grab him by the heel. And it says that right after that, his name was Jacob. And Jacob actually means uh, he takes by the heel or he cheats. 
Now, this is interesting because actually the Hebrew word for heel actually means deceiver. And so to grasp someone by the heel was just pretty much a figurative speech of saying to deceive and to be a deceiver. And so when you think about this, we see this guy whom in Hebrews 11 talks about he demonstrates faith, but yet we read that he's a deceiver. That is an interesting thing that I want you guys to remember as we continue going on because we'll actually see what it looks like for someone to be a deceiver here as we keep on reading. Picking up in verse 27, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man in the field while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his, ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die, but what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Then Esau despised his birthright. And so here we see that this guy Jacob, the deceiver, actually deceives and he coerces his brother to sell him his birthright. And so a birthright pretty much meant that the, the oldest son was supposed to gain most of the inheritance, the majority of the inheritance. Um, and, and so th- that's what that means. But he sells this. One of the greatest things you could think of that you could get from, from your family, he actually sells it for some stew. That makes no sense at all. Like, that's almost like someone saying to you, like, hey, I know you're so hungry and so exhausted. Hey, I'll give you this steak, but you have to sell me your house right now for this steak. In your head, you're like, well, oh, well, yeah, I'm about to die anyway. What's this, what's this house useful to me? It's not useful at all, so I'll just give it to you anyway. That's, it's almost as similar as that, which makes absolutely no sense. But, man, you have to have been manipulated really badly by someone if they can convince you that something like stew is better than an inheritance that sets itself way above something to eat. But what's crazy is that's not even where it ends. It doesn't even end there because as we continue on reading, we'll see that what Jacob does is he continues to deceive. So in chapter 27, we talked about it last week, so I'm not going to read it right now. But in chapter 27, we see that Jacob actually goes and he steals Esau's blessing. And so what happens is Isaac, he's in his old age. He's blind, so he can barely see. And he's like, hey, Esau, I'm going to go. I'm going to get ready to bless you. Go out to the field. Bring me some food. And then when you come back, I will give you what is yours. And so Rebecca, Jacob's mother, ends up convincing Jacob, like, hey, you should go and actually go out, actually grab some food, actually put on some, some, uh, some uh, animal hair so you can fake as if you're your brother, so you can actually receive the blessing. And what Jacob does is he actually goes and do it. <laughs> he goes and he lies to his dad, tells him, like, yeah, I am, I am him. God went out and blessed me. That's how I have this food. This guy is a deceiver, and he's a really messed up and jacked up man. And what ends up happening is his brother, he comes in right after. Right after he takes his blessing, Jacob, he, he heads out of town. He's like, I'm getting up out of here. His brother, ends, his brother ends up getting pretty upset with him, so much that he wants to kill him. He's like, I'm going to kill my brother because he pretty much took what was rightfully mine. And Jacob's like, well, I don't want to deal with that. So he leaves. And then what happens is when he leaves, he goes off, and he ends up marrying two wives. He has a bunch of kids. In the narrative, eventually, him and his brother end up reconciling together, and Esau forgives them, and Jacob is grateful for that. But that's kind of crazy that he leaves and they end up getting back together. But what we see in this, though, is something interesting. 
is that when we continue looking through this narrative, for some odd reason, God showed favor to Jacob, even over the next chapters. And what ends up happening is that Jacob actually ends up encountering the Lord. In one of the chapters, it talks about that he wrestles with an angel. And some, some versions say it was a man. And so when we think about that, some might say it was Jesus. And I don't have time to really get into detail. So if you want to go read it, find some time to go read about Jacob encountering God. But when he encounters God in this moment, encounters this angel, God renames him Israel. And that's not where it ends. It doesn't just end there because God ends up saying, like, I have something for you. I'm going to change your name. I'm going to change who you are. So he encounters God. He gets his life changed around. He gets his name changed. There has to be something significant to happen if your name is changed. And then, but God also says, I'm not just going to change your name. Actually, all the families through the earth are actually going to be blessed through you and your offspring. And from your offspring, kings shall come from you. And that is something I want you guys to think about. And so even after this guy encounters God, though, he, goes, he starts, he's a deceiver. He's been deceiving since he was little. As soon as he came out, he was a deceiver. He takes a birthright. He steals a blessing. He gets off, and then he encounters God. But what's crazy, his life ends up showing that he still had issues. So much that throughout the next chapters we read about when his daughters get defiled, and then afterwards his sons, some of his sons respond by killing a whole tribe of men. And then it almost lands us to where we are next. Next thing we know, we get his youngest son, Joseph. So this is just walking us through a story of who Jacob is. He has his youngest son, Joseph. And this is where we try to understand a little bit about where, why blessing the sons of Joseph actually matter a little bit. And so in uh, Genesis 37, verse 9 and 11, we'll read a little bit about, about this interaction in, with, with Joseph and Jacob that will actually show more of how messed up of a dude Jacob kind of was. And so in verse 9, it reads as this. Then he dreamed another dream. This is referring to Joseph. This is his youngest son at this point. And he dreams another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have a dream. I, I have a dream, another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars are bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him. So Jacob rebukes his son for this dream he, he shared with him. He says, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. I think his response to his son is pretty much bad parenting. I feel like that's kind of bad. If your son comes to you pretty much, or daughter comes to you pretty much excited about a dream that they had, and for you to tell him, like, you think that dream refers to us bowing down to you? He's like, he's just mocking him. He makes him feel bad. And I think we also see that, man, it has to be something wrong with this dude. It has to be. Like, that, like that's your kid. But, even, but because he is his kid, though, he ends up, saying, ends up telling us that he actually kept that dream in mind. And that's something that's even significant as we'll get to a little bit later. And so right after this aspect of this dream, what ends up happening is Joseph's brothers were really upset with him. And you'll learn more about Joseph next week in next week's sermon. But his brothers were upset with him. They were so jealous. And so what they did, they sold him off to slavery. Jacob, Joseph's father, he's upset. And so he's like, all hope, all hope is lost. My son is literally is out there. He's eaten. He's dead. I know my son's dead. You went off and sold him off and I'm pretty upset. But when we fast forward nine chapters later, they actually reunite in chapter 46. So after, and they reunited after a famine had hit the land that actually drove Jacob and the rest of his kids and his wife to Egypt to find food. And when they actually got to Egypt, they actually ended up meeting Joseph, who had actually risen to power through God's grace. So the one that they thought was dead that was sold into slavery, God ended up saving him. 
and they ended up meeting again. And so this is where we find ourselves right now, is right after Joseph is sold into slavery, years go by, he ends up rising to power, and now he's meeting back and reuniting with his father again. And that is where we are in Genesis 48, but that is the instance of Joseph in Hebrews 11:21. 21. And so when we could keep on looking at it, and we think about the verse in Hebrews, it says, By faith Jacob, when dying, bless each of the sons of Joseph, so he meets his son again, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Now when we go look at the course of Jacob's life, we see a lot of brokenness. We see a lot of sin. We actually see a lot of lack in faith and a lot of selfishness in this guy. But what's so crazy is that God still ends up using him, and he encounters him. So much that the author of Hebrews says that Jacob actually demonstrates faith by blessing the sons of Joseph. The question has to become like, well, well why though? Why would verse 21 actually commend Jacob, this deceiver, for his faith? And this question, this question actually leads us to our big idea for today. And it is this, God's purposes transcends above brokenness. God's purposes transcends above brokenness, meaning that God's purposes for a messed up humanity actually reigns above the brokenness that you see in people. And so even though Jacob demonstrates faith as we read in Hebrews, what he actually did, though, actually points us to the goodness of God. And we see this when we actually break down Hebrews eleven twenty one. 21. And so there are just going to be three things that I want to point out. And the first is this, that God uses foolish thinking to fulfill his purposes. That God uses foolish thinking to fulfill his purposes. And so now we read Hebrews eleven twenty one. 21. It says that he blessed both the sons of Joseph. But the actual account in Genesis 48 says that he actually blessed the younger son over the older. And I'm going to spend some time reading that right now. Picking up in verse 13. And Joseph Took, both, took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger. This points us back way earlier. This is a little bit familiar to us. He leads him to, to the younger, and, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them, let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his hand, his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his, father hand, his father's hand to move it from um, Ephraim's, hand, Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head and Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, since this is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he shall also be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, by you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God, make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And so one of the things that I kind of want to just point out here is that what Jacob did in verses 19 to 20 actually would have been considered foolish, as we even talked about earlier when, when Rebecca got this promise from God that the younger would actually rule and be above the older. It's crazy. It just doesn't even make sense. 
Because this actually sets itself against the way that things were done. So during this time period, the priority of inheritance, like we talked about earlier, actually was supposed to go to the oldest son of the family, which, which is what would make what Joseph did countercultural and not smart. It would actually cause some issues. And what's crazy is his son Joseph even points this out to him. He's like, no, dad, like, you know that's not supposed to go to the oldest. Or you know it's supposed to go to the oldest, not the younger. Ephraim is not supposed to receive it. It's supposed to give this to Manasseh. The oldest is supposed to actually receive the greatest. And so when we think about this, though, the issue really is this, is that, like, in this moment, culture would almost say that those who are less than or less qualified don't deserve the greatest reward. That's kind of just what that, that's what that is saying. It's like, it's like saying that I've worked so hard for this, I put my time in. Why in the world am I not the one receiving it? I'm in the rightful place. This is supposed to be mine. I deserve this. And this is something that I think about in my life. I've actually struggled with this a little bit. And, it's, and so I, earlier, you know, in the video, we talked about me playing football. So I played football at BG. And so I was a registered sophomore at this time. And at this moment, I'm like, hey, I've been here long enough. I've been working my tail off. And I'm like, man, God, I'm following you. I'm all in. I'm, I'm serving in H2O. I'm doing all these great things on and off the field. And so our team, we actually bring in this freshman. So in my head, I'm thinking I'm supposed to be over this guy, but yet he was put above me. And in my head, I was thinking like, man, this kid does not deserve to be above me. Well, who do they think that I am? I'm supposed to be the guy. And this kid, and let me tell you, I don't want to get into too many details, but he was a kid that was just not right. He got into a lot of trouble, barely showed up to meetings on time, was always late to practice, would always get into fights. The list goes on and on and on about this dude who was less qualified than me because of all the trouble he got in, and I thought I was better. But what was crazy is God had to remind me something, though. God had to remind me as I was reading this book called Prodigal God by Tim Keller, reading about the, the prodigal son, and everyone wants to focus on the younger son that goes off, but really we have this older brother who's sitting around self-righteous thinking that he's better than his brother, and that his dad should have gave him all the gifts, but yet he didn't. And so he's upset. And so as I was reading this book, I was in, ended up being struck by God pretty much saying it like, who do you think you are that you think that you deserve something. Don't you understand that I'm the one that actually gives all good things, meaning that it's all in my hands, not yours. And so this is something that has hit me. And so some of you actually might be able to relate to this, where you felt like you worked hard for something like a promotion, but yet it was actually given to the dude who actually, dude or woman that actually came in after you, who was actually not there long enough, so the promotion was given to them. Or maybe, just maybe, just maybe, maybe you got jealous over that best friend of yours who got the great spouse. But yet in your head, you're thinking, man, their past should disqualify them. I've done so much better. They don't deserve that person. Maybe some of you might be, may be able to relate to something in your life right now where you think that you deserve something, but yet you didn't get it. The list could go on and on when we think about this, that those who are less qualified don't deserve something. But I just have to remind you, though, and also remind myself, that God doesn't operate this way, as no one deserves his grace, nor can we actually tell God what to do with what he has. He can do whatever he wants. And he, what he ended up doing was actually using the faith of Jacob to do something that was foolish to some people for his own purposes. And we'll see that his purposes was actually this in verse 19. It says, But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know, he also shall become a people. He shall also be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother 
shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. And so here, pretty much, God has something greater in store. This is the purpose right here, that God's promises that he had made way back to Abraham, to Isaac, and had given to Jacob. Now he was going to use the youngest son, Ephraim, to pass on this blessing, to make his offspring into a multitude, a.k.a. bless the families of the earth. And this is what, for some people, might actually make Jacob's faith seem a little bit foolish, that he actually blessed the younger son. But yet God said, no, I want to actually use that because he has purposes that go even far beyond the promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we will actually see the culmination of that in the next point. And the second point is this. God uses broken people to fulfill his promises and his purposes. God uses broken people to fulfill his promises and his purposes. And so when we think about Genesis 48, this, is, this will all make sense, so just bear with me. In Genesis 48, verses 15 and 16, he said, and it says this, And he blessed Joseph and said, The God whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on, and in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. And so right here we see that, that Jacob, he recalls that God being his, the father of his grandfather, right? And then, and then Isaac, his dad, and he recalls the promise that God made to them and that I was given to him, that was given to, to Jacob. But then Jacob's actually passing this on. And so he's saying that we're going to make your family into, into a multitude and miss the earth. And what he's actually talking about was really significant. And one thing I actually want to point to in here to make, have, make this all make sense that God uses broken people is that Jacob ends up mentioning this aspect of this angel that redeemed him from all evil. He says, to this, and this angel that redeemed me from all evil. So now this is interesting. because so, so when we look through the line of Jacob's family from Abraham to Isaac to even Jacob, we see a lot of brokenness in this family. And this speaks volumes because we see that Jacob, this man who has been given a promise from God, despite all of this messed up stuff, God still used them. But why? Because God was gracious because he loved them, and so much that he redeems them. So we can be thankful that God ended up using this broken dude and redeems them so that he can actually use him to pass on his blessing to the sons of Joseph. Now, why is that actually important? Why is it important? Well, Jacob could have been written off because of the lack of faith and all the wrong that he has done in his life, but yet God still used this man to fulfill his own purposes to make people into a great nation. And some of you in this room might feel too broken or too jacked up to even be used by God. You might be saying, Alphonse, you don't even know what I've done. I've messed up so many times. All the people that I've hurt, well, let me say something. I might not even know that. I might not know any of what you've done. But God wants to redeem you like he did Jacob to use you for his purposes. And that would be to point people to his glorious grace that he displayed through the, to the world through Jesus. And so this is where it gets great. Because God, God uses broken men like Jacob to pass on his blessing to the sons of Joseph, that eventually, we, in that line of the family, we end up getting Jesus. And so the foolish faith, the broken man, was actually used by God, this broken family used by God to birth the Savior of the world. And this all just connects us to the first point. It all just connects us to the first point even right now, that God uses broken people to fulfill his purposes. 
And the purpose through all of this stuff that we see is that literally we would get Jesus. And so I want to say this first. I'm really thankful for the faith of Jacob because without Jacob's faith, this jacked up and crooked man who was broken, the familial line of Christ doesn't even continue. And therefore, we are still stuck in our sins. We would not have had someone to come and actually pay the price for our sins. But because God does what he wants, he wants to use someone like Jacob, he said, I'm going to use this man to save humanity so that he can pass down a blessing so that I can actually give the greatest gift that we have ever seen. How great, how precious is God's love. How beautiful is the gospel. How beautiful is the good news that God would use a broken man like Jacob to pass on a promise so that we could get Christ, the holy and perfect Christ, who was actually broken. So he became brokenness. So Jacob was a broken man. Christ became brokenness for each and every one of us in this room. Taking, taking sin upon the cross, dying, raising over it, so that we could be in relationship with God. It might sound crazy. It might not even make sense to some of you. It probably really doesn't. And, that's why, and this is why at this moment I just want to add this, that there might be some of you in here that might be like, ah, oh, man, I'm having a hard time with this. You might have came in with some doubts. You might have came in with a little bit of struggles. But I just want to ask you one thing, though. Like, like what's stopping you from putting your trust and your faith in a God who was willing to go through hoops and bounds to save a jacked-up humanity, to use this dude named Jacob, this deceiver, to pass on a blessing so that we can get Christ? Like, what's stopping you? That from the beginning of history, God had you in mind. Like, what's stopping you from really trusting in God? What's stopping you? God is good. He has been continuing to point out his grace that we do not deserve. So that for that, I can only just be thankful, so thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so one thing from all of this that we cannot say, though, is that God does not use broken people to fulfill his purposes because he sure did use Jacob to carry out his plans so that we could get Christ. Now, this leads us to an implication, though, that will actually make sense in the next point as we continue, and even when we look through the rest of Hebrews eleven twenty one, But to get there, my third point is this. God's grace should lead us to bless others. God's grace should lead us to bless others. And so we talked about God using foolish thinking to fulfill his purposes, God using broken people to fulfill his purposes, and now because of these things, we should actually be led by God's grace to bless others, and we actually see this demonstrated by Jacob. And this is where it comes into play that by faith, Jacob, while dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing over the head of his staff in worship. And so in this verse, and even in Hebrew, in Genesis 48, we see that Jacob in his old life, as he was lying on his deathbed, legally blind, bowing his head in worship, blessing his grandsons. And at this point, Jacob had every opportunity to maybe hold on to this blessing because he was selfish before like he was in his youth, but yet he was used by God laying on his deathbed. And one thing that we actually will see is that he recognized God's grace while he was laying on his deathbed. He recognized the goodness of God over his life even as he was dying. And we will see this even when we go back and look at verse 11 in Genesis 48. And it says, And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. This verse is so significant to, the, to what we're talking about right now. Because this word behold actually holds the way. He said behold. like It's like but God. 
So at this point, Jacob has this understanding of God's love and grace. That was so he's like, man, I wasn't even going to get a chance to see my son Joseph again, who I thought I was going to lose. But yet, I didn't even just get to see you. I actually saw my grandsons. That's kind of crazy. He actually saw his grandsons because he actually passed a blessing on to them. And look what we have. We have Jesus. But this is so great that he understands God's grace at this point. He understands, like, he's like, but God, like, behold, God has given me this. And so what happens is we see this overflow of the grace of God leading Jacob to actually worship God in his old age and to actually faithfully go and pass on this blessing that he realized that God gave him. And so this just reminds me, though, of something that I'm thinking about this. Like, man, he freely gave this, but I'm thinking about my life sometimes, and I'm just like, man, I sometimes want to hold on to things as if they're just mine to keep. And some of you might be the same way, where you have something and you don't want to hold on or you want to hold on to it or want to go give it. But I can only be reminded of something, though, through everything that we've talked about, that like, first off, God is the one that actually gives good things in the first place. And if God himself actually gave us Jesus through the faith of Jacob, who actually ended up passing it on freely, what is stopping us from actually using what God has given us and passing it on and giving it freely. Like God has given us the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to go pass on freely. And so it's almost like, what is stopping us? And so what's crazy is that Jacob, even as he was dying, he's like, yep, I got faith to go pass this thing on. And so we need to be doing the same thing. And all this makes me think about is a time in my life when I had to, to really wrestle with this a little bit. And so I had this friend of mine, and, and uh, um, we, we were really close in high school, really great teammates, just best friends. So I would call him my brother, like we were literally like blood. And I just remember I was a sophomore in college at this time, so I hadn't seen him in a while. I was keeping up with him every now and then. I was headed home for a break during the summer. And at this point, he, couldn't, he wasn't able to play football no more because of medical issues. He was just going through a lot of family stuff. And as I'm driving over, I'm just like, man, like, I know I need to talk to him um, and, and try to encourage him, but I don't even know what I can actually offer him right now because he's going through a lot of pain. And the only thing I could think about, though, as a, at this moment, I had just pretty much become a Christian not too long ago. And the only thing I could think of was just the goodness of God, the grace that God has shown me. I'm like, man, all I can offer this dude is the gospel. All I can offer him is Jesus because really that's the only hope that he has. And so I ended up sharing the gospel with him. And honestly, I don't even know where he stands today because we actually haven't talked in a while. But all I could think of in that moment was like, man, God, I just hope you just draw near to him because this is literally the only thing that I can give him. And that's what we should be doing. Just like Jacob, as he's dying, recognizing the grace of God, he goes and he gives his blessing because he recognized it wasn't his to give. It, it, was, it was God's to give in the first place. And so this just reminds us as we get ready to close of one thing, for the person in here, and even for myself, as if we're Christians, I just want you to think about this. Are you going to continue to be thankful? Continue to be thankful for all that God has done for you through his grace by giving us Jesus. Are you going to lead that, that goodness of God, to literally lead you to go and spread the good news? To trust that God is going to bring salvation to those who are hearing? Or are we going to continue to sit in silence? Hold on to this gift as if it's only just for us. We have to go out and give the gospel, and we have to go out and give it freely. Just like Jacob did on his deathbed, he passed his blessing on. That was from God, and he gave it 
freely because he realized that God was good and I must give this. And that is something that we have to do. And as we think about that, we have to remember this as we're going on passing on this gift that, one, that God's purposes transcends above brokenness and that God's glory is actually shown in using messed up people like me and you and even Jacob to show the world how far God was willing to go to save humanity. And that is what is good. Let us pray.